You are listening to Faithless Brewing, a Magic the Gathering podcast for the Spike Rogue. Each week we design new decks for tournament play. We put our creations to the test and share our findings on the air. Coming up on the brew session, Melkator Purity Overseer brings Blade Splicer into Pioneer with an extra twist. Can we triple up and make it rain golems? Then on the flashback, testing results with Elish Norn, Mother of Machines. That's all coming up on Faithless Brewing. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Faithless Brewing Podcast. I am David Robertson, joined as always by the man, the myth, the legend, the CEO of the Faithless Brewing Podcast. He is caved in online, Daniel, the Dr. Shriver. What is going on, my friend? I'm hanging in there, David. Right before we started recording, my, my wife sent me this New York Times article that was called, Would You Date a Podcast Bro? And I still have not, I have not recovered from that article yet. <laughs> it made me want to shut the whole show down, quite frankly. So this is the final episode of Faithless Brewing, but it's been a fun journey with all of you. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, you know, you did say you were hanging in there like the fricking cat poster at work, so <laughs> exactly. I, I can't really support this podcast anymore either. <laughs> the article was very short, very to the point. Just like three anecdotes that just revealed everything you need to know. <laughs> just like random individuals on dating sites. Well, no, they got to do like a, a, you know, a Mary <laughs> fuck kill or whatever. <laughs> Podcast bro. Like, you know, who's that guy? They just got arrested uh, in Romania. Tate, whatever, oh bro. And then like uh, CrossFit bro. And then, you know, like. Mm. You know, we, there's a bunch of bros, right? That's true. And you got to just figure, you got to order them. You got to hierarchically, you know, determine. Because if you're, if you're a gay man or a heterosexual woman, you're stuck. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're what's for dinner. It's, it sucks. You wish, you wish you were more attracted to people who weren't uh, morons, but that this is who we are. So you got to figure out which bro is tolerable as the key. They could definitely make the article into uh, like a series. Like, would you date a bro? And you just keep modifying that with different times uh yeah i mean what are you gonna do well talking to my single female friends it is a tough <laughs> tough world out there if you're a 38 year old woman with a college degree trying to uh find a, a partner that uh, treats, treats you with uh, a little bit of respect my god yeah all right. Well, thanks again for being with us. Thanks for sharing your day with us, podcast bros, as we're going to yap at you about some magic cards. Yeah, it'll be a fun journey, I hope. <laughs> What's on the docket for today, David? Today, we are going to investigate the winner of our most recent card of the month. Uh, it is Malkator Purity Overseer, and I believe the person that nominated Malkator is MTG. So before we get into that, we need to do a little bit of housekeeping, and then we will discuss uh, DGFMTG's uh, little scheme for us. So 
As always, just a reminder, if you enjoy the podcast and you'd like to support us, the best way to do that is to go to patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing and join at whatever level you feel comfortable with. Uh, it is the best way to support the show, and you get to vote in specifically this poll. You get to nominate cards if you're at a certain level. And then, uh, you know, once we're here, we're going to spend the month trying to uh, figure this card out, trying to solve the mystery of the elephant wizard. That's right. And I'm just realizing right now that I, <laughs> I forgot to ask him <laughs> if he prefers to go by D. Jeff, or I think his name is actually Dylan, but I'm, I'm not sure. That's his screen name. So we're just going to keep calling him D. Jeff. Not only did he nominate this card, but he ran the whole marketing campaign. He put together like a <laughs> little political poster for it and definitely rallied the troops. Obviously won you over immediately, David. You heavily, heartily endorsed Melkator during our uh, little campaign season and people were convinced this card ran away with it. Well, not ran away, but it was a clear winner. Yeah, and uh, I know that... Um djfmtg is in the discord he's posting lists uh there's lots of people with a lot of ideas in the discord going back and forth on different ways to build it it's interesting to see little convergence evolution some of the kind of shells that people were talking about similar to uh some of the kind of shells uh we're about to talk about here from us uh yeah we just have to find out if we can find any success that's the that's the hope that's the dream all right so kicking off project melkator this is our first attempt at the card Melkator Purity Overseer, one blue-white legendary creature, Phyrexian Elephant Wizard. When Melkator enters a battlefield, create a 3-3 colorless Phyrexian Golem artifact creature token. At the beginning of your end step, if three or more artifacts enter the battlefield under your control this turn, create another 3-3 colorless Phyrexian Golem artifact creature token. And I forgot to mention Melkator's base stats are a 1-1. He has a 1-1 one, one elephant. Not sure what happened there. Yeah, that's my only <laughs> negative on this card. The 1-1 one, one elephant part is is way off. And like Purity Overseeders kind of sounds like a religious camp counselor, right? Who like makes you sign like a virginity pledge or something. Oh, I was like, isn't this your job description, David? Isn't this what you do <laughs> like for a living? Purity Overseer? <laughs> kind of, right? Like you make sure everything's done by the book. <laughs> Like you're a chemist, right? Yeah, we don't use the term purity for the oh, kind okay, of work that sure. we do in the medical device world, but uh, <laughs> it looks like he's absolutely going ham on somebody on the surgical table. A completed elephant is a 1-1. One, one. I would never have never guessed that. Yeah, so becoming Phyrexian is sort of like becoming Darth Vader. You lose your power as the most powerful Jedi ever. Now you can just like lose to Obi-Wan, lose to Luke Skywalker. Like any other Jedi you got lying around, you just lose to him. Half man, half machine, not good, it turns out. <laughs> Or half-elephant, half-machine. So, not a lot of details to this card in terms of rules notes. The creature types, uh, Phyrexian could matter if you want to do, like, Pyre of Heroes. There's a lot of Phyrexians now. And this is actually the only Phyrexian that has a clean value ETB trigger. It is a wizard as well. If you want to maybe assemble a wizard's deck, you know, you could play Nabon on turn two, play Malkator on turn three, and you would, you would double-trigger that. The timing of the end of turn trigger, so it has that intervening if clause. That means that you have to have met the condition before you get to the end step, right? So generating your third artifact during the end step is not going to help you at all. And this is going to be relevant if you're trying to 
do like a slow blink, if I can use that expression, like a Flicker Wisp or a, a Yorian Sky Nomad, something that brings Malkator back in the end step, that artifact will not count towards the total. Right. Charming Prince is another card, especially in Pioneer, that people have often proposed pairing with this. Ah, uh, yeah, that's a great one. And also just note that Malkator does not have to be in play when these artifacts enter. So you, you can generate your first two artifacts before you cast Malkator, and then Malkator, the game knows that you've had three enter that turn. Yes. And I think that's about it in terms of rules notes. Uh, so what, what do you see when you look at this card, David? So I believe the first list that we ever talked about for this podcast involved Blade Splicer and yes. Restoration Angel. So, of course, Blade Splicer, even then, you know, to give ourselves a little bit of credit, I think we had some success that, that week, you know, a couple of four ones. But it was already maybe a little speculative, let's just say, in the modern power level. And, of course, we know with Modern Horizons and Modern Horizons 2, we're not going to beat a dead horse here. But the power level of the format has increased. And just in general. Any non-rotating format gets more powerful every year. Cards that seem playable, right? We're talking about Wild and the Coddle being banned, and then, you know, for a while it was unplayable, and now somehow it's playable again. Um, so I see a Blade Splicer-like effect in Pioneer, where there are just, like, mid-range decks. Like, you just play a deck that has, like, efficient threats, efficient cards on one and two and three. Um... So just as like a mid-range card, this absorbs all of the mana of a fully used Bone Crusher Giant, and it does it at three mana. That's like the baseline to me. And the Blade Splicer effect of giving first strike, I actually don't never cared about at all because I never wanted to like attack into something and hope like you could always lose first strike in response uh, to your combat step. Oh right, yeah. So I, I never assumed it had first strike. So this having this other text, which you maybe want to reach for, you don't need to like build a deck around it. You know, I, th I don't think you want to be all in where you're playing Ornithopter or something, but just a little bit something more to like tempt you. So it still has that like brewer thing that we like, where there's like a mission that we must complete. If we complete mm -hmm. it, we get like our, our little reward, right? Our, <laughs> our food pellet comes down into our rat uh, cage as we spin the wheel fast enough. But the fail case being so good... Uh, or what I'm suggesting is so good, so reasonable, is very interesting to me. Yeah, because there there isn't really a comparable effect in Pioneer. There is currently not a Blaze Blazer in Pioneer. No, this is is kind of like a fable. Mm, yeah, right, where it has much more power the turn it's played, and significantly less power on turn five. Right, the the car, the way the cards work. So if you get to turn five with Fable, and your opponent hasn't interacted with you fable is much more powerful than this but on turn three this is a much better play especially on the draw uh, fable on the draw is actually quite poor um it, it trades with nothing right the mm -hmm. two, two just does nothing mm -hmm. um th this is actually you know uh, we'll talk about it with one of the lists this just trades with their three drop and leaves a one drop that actually has text normally it's not really a two for one it's like a one one isn't worth a card but if you at least have the threat of making three artifacts they actually have to kill this it's a, it's a card they at least have to consider killing right they have to sacrifice their Blood Tithe Harvester. They have to cast uh, a push after they sacrifice a Trider. Just, just to make sure, if, if they can't do it now, they, then you might get another Golem in the future. And that, that Golem is a full card. And they don't know how you built your deck. Like, we know that we bent our entire deck to try to <laughs> generate three artifacts in one turn. But for all they know, we're just going to blink it with Charming Prince. So they have to respect it. They have to respect the 1-1. One -one. <laughs> it's too dangerous to be left alive. And the other thing that just is sort of a corner case, but you and I love 
this card is Mox Amber is a card we just have, are fascinated mm-hmm. with. And so Mox Amber working with this, so this sort of like ramps if you want it to five the turn after you play it with Mox Amber or Mox Amber, the turn it comes down triggering extra golem. You can kind of get something two ways. That's always just interesting to me. Like we always mention these cheap legends. Mox Amber is a card that, that does work here. Uh, worth, worth thinking about. Yeah, your most elegant sequence is going to be playing this even on turn three and having it immediately get that end of turn trigger. And that would require something like a Mox Amber if you're a second artifact, which you can then tap and cast like a Skrelv or something, which also works with Mox Amber, we should note. Uh, And that's three artifacts on turn three gets you that extra bonus golem. Now the question on my mind, and this came up as I was like following the discussion in our Discord channel and looking at some of your proposals, a lot of the hoops we might be tempted to jump through to get that end of turn trigger, to get that little biscuit, they're kind of a lot of work, and the end result is not that much more powerful than just like casting one Asika's Chariot. You know what I mean? Like an Asika's Chariot with nothing else is 8-8 from one card with the potential for more. Melkator by itself is 4-4 for one card, but with some help you can make it a 7-7 worth of stats from one card. Not saying these are directly in competition with each other, but it it was kind of a reminder for me that like, okay, the, the power of ceiling that we're talking about here is not super high. Like it's decks are equipped to have this kind of thing happen to them to like have an opponent suddenly generate a lot of tokens. It doesn't necessarily just win the game. No, it doesn't. It does, absolutely does not win the game. That's why I don't like these, this idea, you know, we've seen some proposals. Will Urker, this is a, this is a streamer that uh, we're big fans of here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he's had a lot of lists where he's playing like Ornithopter, some cards that are like lower power to try to really kind of nut draw, as, as you're describing. And I think the times when they kill your Malkator, you know, with its trigger on the stack uh, before your end step, or the times where you draw your Ornithopters are not your Malkator, or your Malkator early, and then later you draw your Ornithopter, and you're like, well, this doesn't do anything. Those, those are just too common for, and the nut draw isn't powerful enough to justify them. So I think that that's, that's an important uh, sort of thing to think about. Yeah, so is the juice going to be worth the squeeze, as as David would say? And that includes not just what are we doing to try to assemble three artifacts in one turn or to play blink effects, but also, like, are the colors going to be an issue? Malkator is blue and white, and a lot of the cards you might want to pair with Malkator stray into a third or maybe even a fourth color. And in Pioneer especially, we, we've seen how costly that can be, like... Even if you can consistently generate the colors, it means you're not really going to play any utility lands. You're going to take a lot of shock damage that other decks don't have to do. Yeah, a real cost if you if you aren't just playing two colors, and and that's that's very consistent. All right, so those are some big picture things to keep in mind um, in terms of key synergies. Uh, fairly straightforward. We're we're looking for anything that blinks. That's fine, you know. <laughs> Elish Norn, you can do that. Works with Mox Amber. Mukator works with Collected Company. Uh, if you're on Modern, you can Ephemerate, etc. The end of turn trigger tells you exactly what to do. It just says generate three artifacts by hook or by crook. Whatever you can do to make three artifacts in one turn. David, you already mentioned uh, a couple ways to do it, like with Mox Amber. There was like a deadly dispute line you told me about that I think we're going to see in a minute here. If you're in Modern, which I actually think there's some potential for Malkator in Modern as well, uh, there's a very clean way to do it just with Urza Saga. You know, Urza Saga, Chapter 3 happens, you get a cookbook. 
That's one artifact. Tap the cookbook. Now you have two and Malkator is three. So that's one way you can do that. And I think the most exciting card for me is the original Sahili Planeswalker. Uh, Sahili Rai, classic Sahili. It so happens that her minus two effect that copies an artifact or creature, the one that goes infinite with Felidar Guardian, happens to generate an artifact copy of whatever the thing is that you're copying. So if you happen to use this targeting Melkator, you'll get a second Melkator, which has to get Legend ruled away, but that's fine. You know, you don't need that one. That one that died was an artifact, so that's two golems right there, plus the dead Melkator is three artifacts. You've met the condition for your original Melkator, and you're getting three golems that turn if the Melkator survives. So there's definitely like potential there, and we'll see some other packages and different cards you can stack up to like make this happen as we jump into the lists. Yeah, so the first one kind of tries to deal with the issue that Dan's describing. Blue-white, not the best for kind of what we want to do. So one of the ways, if you want to play a mid-range deck, is you want to play black, right? The reason red-black is so good is it gets to play Push and Thoughtseize, and those are, I don't know how you want to make your list, but up there with Mana Elf, those are uh, Treasure Cruise. Those are the four most powerful cards in the format. You can pick your order, I, I won't argue with you. So we just want to play those two, right? We're, we're, we're a mid-range deck. Malkator isn't winning the game immediately. Dan just, just told us why. Um, so what, what do we do to make our blue mana? So if we have a Shambling Ghast in play on turn three and we Deadly Dispute it, we can choose to make a treasure with the dead Ghast and a treasure with, from the Deadly Dispute. Then we draw two. So we're not down a card. We just spent two mana. We get two mana back. We get two cards back. And then we can cast Malkator. And as Dan said, it doesn't need to have been in play when the treasures came into play. It knows that they came into play. So that's just a very simple, clean way to generate Malkator on turn three. And the treasures fix the mana. So even if we don't draw any of our blue lands, we're not playing that many. We actually just generated mm. the one blue that we need to generate Malkator. Um, and the treasures also mean that Fatal Push is actually incredible in this deck. And then just in general, like Ghast is an okay card. I don't. I always liked it a little bit more than basically everybody else. If you're on the play, you can deadly dispute your Ghast as like a basically a card positive way to kill their mana elf against mono white. Obviously, it's amazing. It trades with Thalia no matter what. Uh, kills random uh, one ones. Trades with Fable Token, right? Like it. it it's. It's a little better than people think. And it, like I said, if if the deadly disputing of it has relevance, then that's something. So. The rest of our deck just tries to take advantage of the fact that we have a bunch of tokens lying around. So we're playing the four Malkator, two Rite of Oblivion because we've got a bunch of stuff to sacrifice to it, two Thraben Inspector, again, a card that works well with Rite of Oblivion, that's known. Uh, uh, LAA11 from our Discord has had a bunch of success with that type of shell. Uh, Thraben Inspector creates an artifact, if that ends up mattering. Three Servo Exhibition, again, a card that works well for generating tokens, can help us get our three artifacts. To Kaya. Kaya is nice with all the random crappy creatures we have lying around because she gives them death touch when they when she comes into play. So they all trade. Your opponent just can't pick them off. If she comes into play and doesn't die, her minus two doubles the tokens we get from Deadly Dispute. A sacked Shambling Ghast. Melkator itself. Servo Exhibition. Thraben Inspector. And Sram's Expertise. Um, her plus also does plus tokens. So we have a few creature tokens lying around the golems, the tokens we get from SRAM's expertise, uh, the servo exhibition tokens. And then, um, because we're playing all these deadly disputes, I'm also playing 
Malachi Rebirth. Malachi Rebirth plus Deadly Dispute on a Malkator means we only have to find one other artifact and we get the Malkator coming to play trigger again. And then we get another, as like, let's say we find a Thraben Inspector or something. We just cast it and get, get our artifact there. So, um, and then I'm playing two uh, Phyrexian Flesh Gorger. That works well with the kind of Deadly Dispute uh, Malachar Rebirth. If they just kill it and you Malachar Rebirth it, obviously that's great. Um, yeah, I was wondering why the Flesh Gorgers were there because at first I thought, oh, you have this Fram's expertise. Maybe you can cheat it in with the expertise effect. But it turns out that you, you are not allowed to do that. If you're trying to play no. it off expertise, you have to pay the prototype cost, which is just a 3 3 size. Yeah, so it is something you can put in play, but you don't get to cheat the 7-5 in play. You just get your 3-3. Three, three. Yeah, but it is nice that you can kind of make this Malachar Rebirth line happen whenever you want, because you have so many sac effects. Yeah, and just Malachar Rebirth in general. Just, you know, we're playing 25 mana sources. It's just a value land that's on plan for us, so it's nothing special. But there's going to be some times when, you know, whatever, Phyrexian, uh, Flesh Gorger, Blocks... Bone Crusher Giant, and you just Malachar Rebirth it. Uh, you know, that's going to happen some amount of the time. So looking at the list here, um, I really like the way that you've accounted for generating the blue off the treasures. Most of these cards feel battle-tested and proven to me, except for, I mean, you know which ones I'm going to say. It's the Servo Exhibition and the Kaya Ghost Hunter and the Sram's Expertise. These are not staples. They're not cards we really see in Pioneer. Is that because they just haven't found the right homes or are they just like a little bit underpowered for what they do? Yeah, I think the, I think the underpowered part, I've, tr I've actually played a ton of lists with Kaya. Um, not ever talked about them on the show. I don't think that much. Just experimented with like Kaya and wedding announcement, uh, a bunch of other types of shells. Never quite found the right deck for her. Um, but yeah, like if you have a card that's just generating tokens, so her plus gives death touch and a plus one plus one counter that's actually kind of interesting again it means that malkator can't just be blocked it, it has to trade with something um servo exhibition is the card i'm least certain of i wanted some kind of two drop that would at least block for kaya if i played on curve i'm not sure what the best card would be um it could be the one in a well I, I i don't know what it would be this this happens to make two artifacts so i was willing to try it i have played it a couple times in like shells with improvise and stuff like that and thought it was okay not not terrible not great um so yeah the the card i would if you're really looking to switch something out i would get rid of servo exhibition you could play like two extra thraven inspectors the card is fine not great not bad um th that's that's the first place i'd start Having criticized the Servo Exhibition, I'm now going to suggest an even worse card, Servo Schematic. <laughs> Have you considered Servo Schematic? Because this one can generate three artifacts by itself if you have access to your Rite of Oblivion, which will be in the graveyard, presumably, or your Deadly Dispute. What does Servo Schematic do? <laughs> it's a two-mana artifact that generates one Servo when it enters and one Servo when it dies. So... You have to kind of unlock the second servo by sacrificing it, and then you'll get your second servo. But just casting it by itself is two artifacts. It's not terrible. I, I don't think that's un, that's unreasonable. I, I just have to try it. I mean, I just I don't know. 
<laughs> it's not it's not unplayable. Yeah, it's the other thing bad. you could play is the the white black um enchantment that triggers whenever you get a one one at the end of your turn if you, if a permanent left play. Oh, the hidden stock bot. Yeah, that's got that timing issue where it just comes too late. You know. Yeah, it doesn't work with Malkator, but it works well with the rest of the deck. Um, yeah, I I never liked that card. I always thought it was a little too clunky. What about um the white bitter blossom? This is one that I saw people in our Discord talking about. Uh, Skrelv's Hive, I think that's what it's called. Skrelv's Hive. Yeah. Do you think that would be appropriate for this deck? Because that gives you the the artifact token on your upkeep. Yeah, so it never ever works with Kaya, but that's not the end of the world. Um, it does put you on a clock, which is a little nervous. I guess we have some life gain with Frexian Flesh Gorger. I think that card's often better as a four of with other ways to generate. But it's it's worth trying again. Like Servo Exhibition isn't that good, so I, I I'm not like <laughs> I'm willing to try any card in that <laughs> slot because they all kind of do the same thing, right? We want bodies that we can sacrifice reasonably profitably we want random artifacts that can come into play for malkator um and we want something that kaya can kind of help uh you know make a little bit better and so it does all those things and and it doesn't block so again it it doesn't seem to fit like in a mid-range type of shell and that that's what makes me nervous is it kind of like puts the clock on you Mm. yeah i actually forgot that it loses life (laughs) but it gives lifelink eventually Eventually, yeah. If you get to three, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that land Mirax is actually one that I was testing. You know, we talked on uh, our Monday show about um, <laughs> this colorless Eldrazi deck. And I actually did try the land that generates, uh, what are they called? Might tokens? Like, yeah. It's pretty cheap for generating an artifact token. So color requirements probably don't allow it here, but a card to keep in mind. I would say if you don't like SRAM's expertise, and, I, and I'm not saying that's wrong or right, I think there's just a lot of other cards you could try. There's a bunch of four mana planeswalkers that work well with token generators. They don't specifically work with Malkator, but that's okay. Um, you know, you can play the four mana Sorin that gives plus one, plus one lifelink to all your creatures. You can play four mana Gideon. You can play the four mana Sorin that makes the two, three vampire or pluses to draw. If you want to be like even more mid rangey and like away from the tokens, you can go the full Phyrexian four uh, Flesh Gorgers and full four Malachar Rebirths. Um, You can go that way. There's lots of things you can do. You don't have to be like all in on the Malkator. And the the mana is super flexible because you're a white blacklist. You can play main deck Shieldred, right? You just play two Shieldred at the top and two Phyrexian Flesh Gorger and extra. Uh, rebirth and no SRAM's expertise and no servo exhibition. Okay. And like main deck of vanishing verse. Like you can, you can make it like very mid rangey. The blue splash is like literally borderline free. You, I'm not playing any blue cyborg cards. So I, I think you, you can go as far in or as far out as you want. And your deck is very, very good at just trading resources, right? Like thoughts, ease, push Phyrexian flesh gorger. Like these are just cards you can play like, Flesh Gorger is going to gain three every turn. When they try to kill it, you have a chance to Malika Rebirth it. You haven't done any combo thing. You haven't cast any weird cards. <laughs> yeah, I'm tempted to try that, although I guess we should try the expertise. Just give it a chance and see if it... Yeah, I, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to play this list. Nobody has to play the speculative cards. And if it's terrible, then it's just like, okay, let's just play a few less speculative cards. And then that's just how we'll, we'll leave it like that. 
I mean, if you want to get like super crazy, there's a five mana angel that can make two one ones when it comes into play and it pumps all your creatures. Like Deadly Dispute does help you ramp up to that. Oh shit. Yeah, the um the God Pharaoh's Gift Angel. Yeah, I was gonna say it's playing God Pharaoh's Gift. That's the only reason we know it. I don't even know what the mechanic is, but you either give it plus two, plus two, or you make two servos. I think it's fabricate two and, and the card is Angel yeah, Angel of yep. Invention. Yep. Angel of Invention. So yeah, you could play like two of those. Again, any card that pumps power is actually really good if you're playing Phyrexian uh, Flesh Gorger, right? We found that like making the front side better is is a very useful thing to do. So that's worth trying. And that is like not that far off the plan. Like if you have a Kai in play and you minus two it and you play that and you get four two twos and a two one flying that pumps all your creature. Like anyway, there's just lots of things to do. Mm-hmm. The Sram's expertise is like the highest upside, right? You could imagine. I, you know, whatever, push something on two, play Kaya plus it. They can't kill it. I minus two her, Sram's expertise into Malkator. Um, and we end up with four three threes and six one ones, right? And the game is over. And, you know, you just, I just want to see, like, is that a thing you can do? You can even, like, with Malkator already in play, Sram's expertise into Kaya and just minus two her because Malkator is going to make a three three at the end of the turn. So she just, like, minus twos to give you an extra th- three three. So I, I just like those lines exist. I don't know how common they're going to be, um, but I, I'm willing to, you know, play the more speculative cards in the brew stage, at least. And maybe we do come back to, all right, Shielder is just so much better than the base level, you know, the, mm. the floor of, of uh, Stram's expertise. We don't care about the combo. And, and maybe that's just the way to play. I accept this deal. All right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I look forward to your report. From the Esperus France expertise, we move on now to Blue White. All right, so people keep saying Blue White's just not a good mid range color. Well, you and I have played a lot of Blue White mid range in this format, and we kind of like it because we get to move cards around from one, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, you know, place on the board, maybe from a graveyard, maybe to hand. We were drawing lots of cards. So this deck is similar to some of the shells we played before. And one of the complaints you had is like, we're playing this Ingenious Smith, we're playing this Patrick Automaton. And when I'm playing against Red Black, the sort of preeminent mid-range mm. list, it's really hard for me to like trade resources because I have to cast all these cards to get my Smith big enough to trade with their Graveyard Trespasser. And they're, you know, they're shocking my Smith and they're playing this 4-3 and it takes a bunch of artifacts to get Patrick Automaton enough and then he just trades, right? And we're down to card. Yeah. So Malkator kind of solves that problem, right? It, it puts a body in play right away that trades. It trades with every three mana play that, that uh, Bread Black plays and every two mana play. It just it blocks and kills that two or three mana creature. Or in the case of the Fable Token, dom- dominates it. They have to cast another spell. Then we put the artifact shell around it. So we're still playing for Smith. We're still playing for Patrick Automaton. Um, we're still playing a couple Metallic Rebukes. Three Reckoner Bankbuster. I think we've Dan, you and I have kind of agreed that's just the better value card of all these cards. It's just mm. a fine card. It's very good when we have Tezzeret in play. A couple Mox Ambers because we do have the four Malkator to justify them, I think, and the Tezzeret to loot them away. Uh, four Portable Holes is our removal spell. We have so many coming to play effects. I, I snuck an Elish Norn in there. Uh, <laughs> just a sweet, just a super sweet card. It's sweet with Malkator. It's really sweet with Ingenious Smith. It doubles both triggers. Um, doubles the triggers on portable hole. Uh, we're playing the full four dark steel Citadel. I know you're worried about missing land drops. We're playing 20, 23 lands. Four of them are artifacts to find with the genius Smith. Um, 
Three Tezzeret, again, I, I think this card's very good. Um, we're going to continue experimenting with that. One Psy, obviously that can make artifacts to trigger our Malkator. One Touch the Spirit Realm, that's just our one main deck way of killing. Shieldred, so I don't have to hear you complain about it. <laughs> and it's a great, we have a bunch of stuff that's valid, we can value Blink, so it can be a removal spell or not. Uh, and, and gets a little bit better with um, Elish Norn. And then on the top of everything is one of uh, Sky Sovereign, just a very powerful artifact and easier for us to crew now because we have Malkator. We have a lot more three power creatures just lying around. Yeah, I didn't think about this shell at all as a potential home, but I really like it. I especially like how it, it makes the Reckoner Bankbuster like a pretty solid turn to play in a way that it wasn't before. Like, before I, I felt like we were playing the Reckoner Bankbuster because we had to have like this grandy option, but it wasn't realistic to attack with it. Uh, you're not going to curve out with a Reckoner Bankbuster in the old version of this deck, but now you can, right? It's crew three. You could just play the Bankbuster on two, play Melkator on three, and attack for four. And then, you know, later in the game, you can get your cards if you want. And that kind of complements the, you know, maybe I'm aggro, maybe I'm not, depending on what uh, the matchup calls for. You know, between the patchworks, the ingenious myths, and the reckoner bankbusters. Yeah, still playing two combat courier. This is an artifact that can come into play from the graveyard if we need to trigger, um, you know, possibly help us trigger Malkator. Really moved away. You know, the, the previous list had a lot of Moonsnare prototypes, Springleaf Drum, less consistent mana. I know you did disliked that. And we just don't need it as much. You know, you just have a natural curve of ingenious smith onto whatever they stomp it. Ingenious Smith can find you the Darksteel Citadel or the Mox Amber, and then next turn you play Malkator with your Darksteel Citadel and then your Mox Amber, etc. So Ingenious Smith helps your Malkator plan. Like, you're not all in on the combo, but it just makes it much more likely without having to play, in my opinion, any bad cards. We don't mind playing Darksteel Citadel because Ingenious Smith wants us to keep hitting our land drops, and we do all, go all the way up to five mana. The Mox Ambers aren't as bad because we're playing enough Legends main deck, including a Reality Chip. Um, and Ingenious Smith has 25 hits before we were a little lighter than that. Mm. So it is just a way to make our draw smoother. Uh, it's a fine value card. It helps us hit our land. Then it also like helps the Malkator nut draw. And I think Ingenious Smith is a good card. So as Zach says, if you can make it into a Tarmogoyf that draws a card, this is just a great thing to be doing. And so that's what we're trying to do. <laughs> this is a proper blade splicer list, right? Like we're, we're not really doing anything to try to get three artifacts in one turn. It might happen once, but... That's not the point of Melkator in this deck. Right, exactly. Yeah, and it fits beautifully. So excited to try this one. I think I might start with something like this just because, you know, I I have the memory of getting crushed by Rakdos seared into my mind. <laughs> I just like what? <laughs> I need a redemption arc for this archetype. My the sideboard is full of stuff that kills uh, that's great against red black, by the way. The other card I want to point out that's in a lot of these sideboards, because we're playing white is Sundering Growth. This is a card people don't really think about because mono-white lists don't really have a need for it. But it's a two-mana instant disenchant. And if you're going to play a disenchant effect and you're going to play Malkator, you should at least consider this. If you think of it as like a two-mana instant 3-3, three, three, uh, you can see how much better it is than something like Lauren in a mono-white list or even Knight of Autumn in a green-white list. Uh, the card's just really powerful if you have tokens. If you have tokens. And a lot of these lists have some tokens to copy, right? We had a bunch more random, you know, treasures or whatever uh, in the other list. But if you're playing for Malkator and the last two lists are, you should at least consider Sundering Growth as a cyborg card. It's very, very powerful. I did not know that was Pioneer Legal. Yeah. 
That's a good card. Yeah, that's what Red said. He's like, I didn't know that card was around. It's like, the populate cards are legal. They just aren't good. <laughs> but Sundering Growth is a great cyborg card if you have tokens. All right. So that is an update to the blue-white Tesserator now with Bladesplacer. All right, next up is a Jeskai Shell. Now, yeah, we talked about it a couple weeks ago. The sort of Sahili malkator interaction is very good for like the fair plan, right? You play Sahili on three, you plus one and do one of them. And then next turn you play Malkator, copy it. Okay. We also know that Sahili works with other artifacts we might want to play in our deck. And those are Luxior and Altar of the Brood. It combines with those two cards to do uh, to mill our opponent out. Now, should you play these do-nothing artifacts in a deck with Sahili? <laughs> the answer is I don't know. But in theory, Malkator like helps you a little bit because just playing a random artifact can matter, you know, on turn four or five, if it's going to give you another golem. And to kind of help those cards matter a little bit more, we're also playing third path iconoclast. So if we have a third path iconoclast in play and we cast a Malkator and then an altar of the brood, we actually get our three artifacts that way. Third Path Iconoclast makes an artifact. When we cast the altar, altar itself is an artifact. Hmm. So we're trying to like mitigate the fact that these cards are very bad. Now, I don't know if they're worth doing. I don't know if they're worth doing. You can see on my sideboard just as a, something to plant in our mind. I have four Karn of the Great Crater. You can make the list. Maybe play four Karn main. Uh, maybe go up to like a Urian build. I like to play Urian when I'm playing Karn because we're just saying our sideboard doesn't matter. Uh, and then you only have to play one altar, one Luxior, right? And they're in your sideboard. You don't, your main deck can be all good cards. Uh, but the rest of this is just spells, right? Fiery Impulse, Consider, Spell Pierce, uh, Sensor, Fable. Fable and Sahili both also trigger Third Path Iconoclast. Uh, Malkator, the combo pieces, 24 lands, and, and I'll dig through time. So you, you mentioned there's a good chunk of spells here. That's your interaction and your selection. That's your fiery impulse and your consider and your sensors. But are, are those there just because you want to support the third path iconoclasts? Or do you just think they generally are the cards you want to be doing on the first couple turns? Yeah, they're the, those are cards I want to play anyway if I'm going to play Sahili. Because I want to play Sahili on an empty board. Because we actually want Sahili in play before Malkator. Mm. Um. And it's hard, right? Sahili does not protect itself. Its plus is very bad. So we want to like censor their three drop, play our Sahili plus it. And then they, you know, play their four drop or whatever. And then we do our thing with Malkator or our Fable token or whatever. Um, so I want to play those cards anyway. I want to play Third Path Iconoclast, I think, because it triggers on everything except for the three Malkators. It triggers on Fable. It triggers on Sahili. Um you know, we do, do we want to play a fair plan? Do we want to play all in on the fair plan? We're adding Malkator. It's the only white card, right? Is it even worth doing? I mean, it's, are we, are we adding this fair card? Do we want to be like all in on the fair plan and just not play Luxior and alter the brood at all? Uh, there's just a bunch of different ways you can take this. I, I don't know what the best way to do it is. So, so Rai famously combos with Felidar Guardian. Felidar was one of the first cards banned in Pioneer. It's just too easy to do. Yep. You can still combo with Sahili. It just it requires three cards, two of which do absolutely nothing. That's the issue that David's wrestling with here, right? Luxior, equip it to Sahili Rai because it equips to a Planeswalker, and now she can copy herself, and each copy can keep copying herself. That doesn't accomplish anything. You need to add that third piece, and that's what the Altar of the Brood is. So you're kind of looking at Luxior and Altar being blanks, and you have to put enough of them in to find all of these pieces if you want to do the combo. Uh, 
I was curious, David, if you thought about the card exuberant fusling. So this is something that came up. I think DJ found this when he was looking at potential payoffs to the Sahili combo. The fusling is just a creature, right? It's like a zero one trample. It comes with an oil counter and it picks up more oil counters. The more things die. Because technically the legend rules Sahili when you're doing this loop is an artifact dying. You, you actually grow an infinite power exuberant fusling and you could theoretically play that instead of the altar as like a sort of playable like a card actually does something it, it attacks and blocks <laughs> whereas altar does nothing well i would rather i think there's a one three for two that does a damage to your opponent every time an artifact comes into play mm. i think i'd rather play that because it also works with third path iconoclast uh yeah okay uh and as i think it's i think it's a one three i might it might be a one two um i know the card you mean yeah one three reckless fire weaver yeah yeah. So if you want to do that, and maybe that's the way to, again, like you can tell there's a bunch of different options. You can play Wandering Mind if you want to be in on the combo. That's actually like kind of sweet to copy with Sahili. You just see like a shit ton of your deck. Um, yeah, there's a lot of different ways you can go. And maybe Malkator is like actually taking us off the wrong the wrong path. It's like, oh, it's kind of this fair plan we have in the background. It's like, oh, maybe the fair plan is not even worth doing because we never win the fair plan. Or maybe Third Path Iconoclast is the actual fair plan and we don't need to actually splash white. Um but again, the white splash just seems so free when you have a card like Fable that adds random treasure tokens. Um. Yeah, I mean, okay, so it's a blue-red core. You're only splashing the third color for something for Sahili to copy for value. We've seen that Chariot, Asika's Chariot, that is actually works beautifully with Sahili as well, and that's also splashable. Uh, actually, that was one of the first Chariot synergies we <laughs> explored in this podcast. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know if you or I found it, but you played a bunch of sweet lists. Yeah, uh, yeah. A bunch of, like, teamer lists. In Modern, even, it was, like, powerful enough for Modern. Turns out Chariot's just, like, one of the best cards in whatever format it's in. So you you could maybe <laughs> just say Chariot's better than Melkator and play this shell as teamer. That would not work for Melkator week, obviously. <laughs> but um, it's worth remembering. It is cool that Chariot triggers third path Iconoclast as well. Like... Yeah, that, that that just seems sweet to me. And maybe, maybe, yeah. And I mean, I'll explain the interaction since I see a chariot in your next list here. So the way this works is you have Sahili, you played her on three, you upticked her. Now you play your Asika's chariot on four, generate two cats, Sahili minus two, copy the chariot. Legend rule happens and you're going to actually keep the token chariot this time. So you've lost your original Chariot. Now you have two additional cats, so four cats total, and a token copy of Chariot that has haste. Crew that, attack with it. It has an attack trigger that copies any token in play, or on your side at least. It can actually copy itself because it is a token copy of Chariot, so you can now use that attack trigger from the temporary Chariot to make a permanent token copy of Chariot. So legend rule happens again, and now you can choose. If you want four damage, you should keep the temporary one, but you probably just want more cats, in which case you keep the permanent one. You end up with six cats plus a token copy of chariot that is still a token for all future turns. So you added, how much did you add? Six cats? That's 12? 12? Was that right? 12. 12 plus power. a 4 4? Plus a chariot. So you got 16 power out of that. Well, you always describe the chariot as having this extra power. I that's not always true. So I, I guess I, I want to push back with a chariot adds eight power to the board for four mana. I that's not okay. often the case. Fair, but fair enough. <laughs> you, the 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 player describing is awesome. You had a bunch of sweet lists. I, I forget what chariot week was. We thought it was just kind of almost like a knockoff, and the card was just awesome. Did you five zero in modern? I did. Yeah, and uh, we had like a a teamer 
ramp in Pioneer that used uh, the Registrar Alpha. It's <laughs> like another thing for yes. Celia to copy. Yeah. Right. Anyway, so that's like why you would consider Chariot and Sahili together. And it's just cool that Malkator also combos with Sahili, uh, <laughs> which brings us perhaps to the next shell. Yeah, so I don't really have a deck here. I just have kind of an outline. So four Portable Hole, four Carry Added, four Prosperous Innkeeper, three Sahili, three Malkator, four Risen Reef, two Touch the Spirit Realm, and then four Chariot, four Omnath, two Teleportation Circle, two Elishnorn. That's 36 cards with eight mana sources in your two drop slot. So one of the things Dan's, Dan has often said is I hate having decks that don't have interaction on one. We can actually cast Portable Hole on turn one. Well, again, we're going to have to make the mana base here. It's going to be a dark journey. We don't have to play 12 plus Triumphs, though, with this shell. That's that's important to me. Carry Added could... I actually see DJF MTG is playing a Goose in a lot of these shells. That might be better than Carry Added. Hmm. It's an interesting idea. Um, I, I missed that. I, I wasn't thinking about that. That's that's something worth considering at least. Does make an artifact. Can be copied by Elish Norn. Can tap for any man of any color. Sylvan Carriad is the more stable mana source. Might be better. I, I haven't thought about it, but I saw that he was playing um, Gilded Goose, and I just wanted to point that out. Dan pointed out that Elish Norn plus Omnath is insane because uh, you get the two triggers right away. Sahili Rai copying Malkator. Great, we just described it. Sahili Rai copying Seeker's Chariot, great. We just described it. Sigli Rai copying Risen Reef, actually way better than just copying a normal three-mana draw card. Oh. Because, you you know, the Risen Reef see each other. You get the two triggers there. Uh, Risen mm-hmm. Reef with Omnath, great, obviously. Um, Risen Reef with Elish Norn. And then another, you know, like you, you see all the interior uh, synergies here. Do you want to tweak some of the numbers one way or the other? The mana is going to be tough. You can probably play actually a ton of Shocklands, though. Uh, or maybe even um, some of the five mana lands that do damage you every time they tap because Prosperous Innkeeper plus Elish Norn gains so much life and because Omnath gains so much life. So maybe you can just harm yourself to feel something and uh, and you and you turn out okay on the other side. So you noted that there's some similarities here to this Omnath to Light Shell that no longer plays in the Mizzet, but does play Omnath, does play Karyatid, does play Elish Norn. That deck actually sometimes plays Courier's Briefcase, like just like a cheeky ramp option that makes a blocker, and then later in the game it does actually provide this source of card advantage. And I'm just wondering if that's possibly worth it. Like it's it's something you can copy, it's an artifact, it fixes your mana, it's potentially card advantage. I had it in my next shell until I found this other card, and it might, it might be better than that. I just wanted to put the other card in there. But yeah, that, that was something I considered. Mm. I had it in the first version of this shell and first version of the other shell. Okay. This shell, I think you do want the carry added. Mm-hmm. Um, the stable mana ramp is actually really useful, I think. Again, playing Sahili Rai and plussing it, which is what we're trying to do, is really important. <laughs> uh, and even if you play Sahili Rai chump block with carry added and get to do one of these things that's going to be worth it like throwing away carry added um if you don't have one of your four drops that you that you end up playing you you want sealy ride to be able to minus two uh, it doesn't do anything else in these lists right if it can't minus two mm, true and we we've all done it we've played sealy ride plus done a damage to our opponent who's at 17 because we haven't hit them because we're playing <laughs> this deck and then we scry something to the bottom and then they just you know <laughs> kill it and it's like all right that was a, a tough tough break 
Yeah, I think this deck will definitely do better when you don't have to play Sahili immediately. Like if if you're in a more leisurely value game, just deploy Sahili last and you'll get a lot of value. But not every matchup's gonna be like that. Sometimes you just gotta race and get stuff on the board as quickly as possible. Yeah, so this kind of basic shell is somewhat close to some of the proposed shells that DJF MTG and a few of the other uh individuals have in the Discord. Where you're seeing the Prosperous Innkeeper is awesome with Elish Norn. It's also kind of interesting with Sahili in a pinch. It does leave a quote-unquote permanent ramp behind. Hmm. Um, and Prosperous Innkeeper does make an artifact. So, like, with Elish Norn in play and uh, Malkator in play, like, Prosperous Innkeeper plus Portable Hole triggers Malkator again, just as an example. Um, and the life gain en- ends up mattering a ton with with Elish Norn. The Prosperous Innkeeper, Elish Norn, Asika's Chariot means like Red Black just can never kill you. A good deck to crush Jund. <laughs> exactly. All right, then the next one abandons Red, but adds Gala Greeters, which is a car- the other card I was talking about that sort of is like the briefcase. And Gala Greeters is really cute with Malkator because you get two bodies. Um, so it triggers twice and one of those triggers can create an artifact. So obviously the turn you play Malkator on turn three, Galagreeters will not, uh, trigger, but any future like Malkators, if you have extra mana do, does allow you to, to trigger. Yeah. I kind of forgot about this card. So it can trigger up to three times in a turn, but never the same thing. Right. So it's, it's sort of like a homeless man's Omnath. If you have an Elish Norn in play, it, you don't get to double any of those triggers. You just get all three, right, as you cycle through them. Uh, okay, I see. You have to choose the separate effect for the second time it resolves. Yep. Okay. All right, so what we're, we've lost now is we've lost that splash into the fourth color, so we're not getting all meth anymore. We're not getting Sahili anymore. Right. Our mana is way better. Um, we don't have to play Sylvan Carry added. And we're just on a much more value plan. We're significantly less explosive, but our like mid-range is way more effective. We get to play the full four teleportation circle, which is very good with combat thresher. Um, and teleportation circle is also amazing with uh, Asika's chariot. And it's actually really good with Malkator as well. So we're basically never going to trigger Malkator in this list. We're just going to blink it for value. Just, a, just It's just a pure value card here. Yeah, I mean, this seems actually kind of similar to the LS Norn Blink concepts that you were messing with during our week of testing. Is that going to be like where you actually win the game? Like, I assume that spending a bunch of turns blinking stuff, amassing value is fine, but like when you actually need to win the game, is it is it LS Norn that does it here, or do you think you can just make a chariot and make a lot of cats? Yeah, Char- Chariot plus a bunch of cats. Chariot copying the Malkator token uh, is actually pretty sweet. Just like upgrading your tokens to something that matters. And yeah, I mean, eventually like like Elish Norn plus Asika's Chariot wins all the mid-range matchups. So you have to figure out how you're going to like win the non-fair <laughs> matchups. And that's where things get tougher, right? The, the sideboard gets really taxed. And we'll talk about that when we talk about our Elish Norn results. Um, if you don't play a fair deck these cards don't do a lot against um, what your opponent's doing. So I play Prosperous Innkeeper on turn two. I play Chariot on turn three. Turn four, I play Malkator. That's one artifact. 
That crews the chariot. I attack for eight. Chariot triggers, copies the golem. That's two artifacts. And I just need a fourth mana for a portable hole and three artifacts. Yeah, that's all you need. That's all you need. <laughs> Those were good cards. <laughs> it's important to note that Malkator does crew chariot exactly as you're describing. It gives you four power. And so the turn after chariot, you actually do get to do your eight power for four mana thing. And you get a three, three instead of mm-hmm. uh, a two, two. And if you add that third artifact, you get an additional 3-3. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) If two golems did not win it, perhaps a third golem is what you were missing. All right. I mean, I I like the concept. I I like these little packages. I feel like we've identified a bunch of promising ones to explore. It all hinges on Melkator being like a fine play. Like like you were saying at the top, you know, the floor is high, right? This is a, a reasonable card, perhaps even above curve, if you have some reason to want to do it. And that's all in Pioneer. Just briefly about Modern. Um, I actually think I will try Melkator in Modern. The only reason it's better than Blade Splicer, right? Blade Splicer is a card you can still play in Modern. The only reason it's better is because of that end of turn trigger. And the only realistic way to do that is with Sahili, as I think, um, I think you'd agree with that. Sahili is sort of fine in Modern. Like, Sahili combo decks do 5-0. I think one was in the challenge last week. There's a few different ways to build it, uh, because Fallout of Guardian is still legal, because you can always buy time with Solitudes and Furies and such, you can go a few different directions. You can just build regular-ass, four-collar, Omnath, Elish, Norn, good stuff that happens to place a Healy and Felidar in there. I think a more interesting way to go is to like get a little bit lower to the ground and like really focus on like a lot of Sahelis, <laughs> uh, maybe a lot of Felidars, and you probably still need Solitude there, but you can you can get weird with it. Like Sahili has interesting things to copy lower on the curve. Uh, I'm kind of intrigued by Urza's Saga, finding the pieces for these alternate Sahili combos. Like it finds Luxior, it finds Ultra the Brood if you want that, and it finds Cookbook if you want to do the Sahili Melkator. Not Sahili. It finds Cookbook if you just want to generate that extra golem right away from Elkator, like we were talking about. So there could be something there as well, like in an Urza Saga focus version of a Sahili combo deck, where Melkator is not the focus by any stretch, but can be that supporting player that just gets you some bodies, make sure you have blockers for your Sahili, and every once in a while will get you that extra golem that uh, like a Blade Splicer can't do. Yeah, and just a lot of the cards that Sahili work with works well with Malkator, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, the cat can actually blink Malkator, and it does it in real time. It's not a delayed blink, mm-hmm. like Charming Prince or Flicker Wisp. So, if you had somehow other artifacts, if you're playing the Elemental Package, you want to play Ephemerate. Ephemerate actually works with Malkator as well. You can play Malkator Ephemerate. If that's already two artifacts right there for four mana. You get a free Ephemerate to start your next upkeep. So, you, like, start out with a free artifact and play for no mana. Um, so, you know, I agree with you, Dan. It feels like there's something there. And I know that, you know, I think you 5 0 in Modern, when we built, like, the cat, Asika's Chariot, Sahili Rai, I think that was the shell that you 5 0 with. So, we already started, you know, we're starting with something. Um, and then <laughs> from there, you know, we're adding, it doesn't have to be four Malkators, just a couple Malkators. Mm-hmm. It's, it's actually kind of on plan. We're playing Blink cards, we're playing Sahili uh, Rai, these cards all kind of work together, so... What the combo of the right cards is, is the, is the question. Yeah, exactly. So I'm going to think about it this week. Oh, 
see what Mord thinks, and you know, we'll let you know what we come up with when we check in on Malkator next time. But I think that's what we're going to say about Malkator for now. Now, before we head out, David, I, I do want to ask you about how your week went in terms of decks you were playing, because you were testing some interesting ones from last week's card. Yeah, so our last week's card was Elesh Norn. You know, a lot of people thought, okay, this is maybe just like a tutor target in our Enigmatic Incarnation decks, maybe a BTL target. And that's kind of what people have played, like a one of in an 80 card list. Not exactly uh, upsetting the apple cart. Very powerful sometimes when it's in play. Obviously, there's matchups where it's good, where it's bad. I was liking it. Maybe it's just like a deck we actually build around. I thought it was a card we could ramp to somewhat reasonably uh, within the confines of Pioneer. I thought it was actually really good against these decks. So, like, it just beats Enigmatic Incarnation by itself. They have 80, 95 cards. They cannot kill it. So, I thought it was just like, oh, you'd be able to play that. You'd get, like, maybe one free win a league. Uh, that didn't really happen. So I had a bunch <laughs> of different shells. So I'm not going to talk about the first deck I played just because we have, um, evolution. So the first thing I, I found when I was tooling around with some lists before I proposed them last week was I was finding myself wanting Elish Norton play. It was so good. So I was like, what if I play for Eldritch evolution? Then, um, I'm playing a bunch of extra Elish Norns. Uh, and I only have to play like two of them. My deck can be a lot cheaper. So went to eight mana elves for Oath of Nissa. Oath of Nissa is the best card in, in almost any Elish Norn list. Hmm. Um, a couple of Prosperous Innkeepers. Then we needed a bunch of three. So I have four Land of War Visionary, four Skyclave Apparition, one Knight of Autumn, three Asika's Chariot, just a generically powerful card, especially with Elish Norn in play, obviously. Uh, four Combat Thresher, functionally a three mana cantrip. Um, that leaves a three uh, CC body in play. Two Elish Norn and then a one of Tulsimir, both a card that's awesome with uh, Elish Norn in play and just another five drop sometimes you want to tutor for. I ended up unfortunately playing just five decks that didn't care about Elish Norn. I played Blue Red Creativity with Gear Hulk. Elish Norn at least has a little bit of text there because it stops Gear Hulk. Uh, Blue Red Creativity playing the, the CFB PT list. I started 2-0 against these decks. The games were really close and really long. You do get to EE for cyborg cards, which felt really good. Um, so I was able to kind of steal what I think. It is. The first one I think were okay, but the second one I thought was actually a pretty bad matchup. I, th I think I was fortunate to win. And then the wheels kind of fell off. I played Blue Red Phoenix. They killed me with one card left in their deck, um, which they would have for sure lost because they had two... Uh, conniving creatures in play I would have forced them to to die on my turn oh <laughs> and then they beat me in the second and it took forever i mean they had like six minutes left on the clock and then they beat me in the second game with like 20 seconds left i was like oh man what a bummer like the 5-0 is gone is what i was thinking at the time <laughs> then i played blue white spirits played by darvik a uh member of the uh, faithless brewing family uh darvik was on spirits <laughs> which is awesome against eldritch evolution and awesome against Elish Norn. Uh, I did manage to win the second game, and uh, Darshik threw down pretty early. I mean, he was going to for sure lose, but I was just accruing all his value, and then he had uh, very good draws and, play and played very well in uh, game three, so it, that was not particularly close. And then I replayed the uh, CFB uh, Blue-Red Creativity list and went uh, 0 0-2, so that felt very fair to split split matches with, uh, with that individual, and, and they played very well as well. So... Eldritch Evolution was pretty good. Um, the main card that was terrible was 
combat thresher. The one one body was terrible. We have no way to buff it. There just has to be a better three mana card mm-hmm. that does anything. Um, but the Eldritch Evolution like package into Elish Norn was okay. The problem is we just didn't play decks where Elish Norn was very good. So maybe you need to build the deck with like more silver bullety like main deck cards and just one Elish Norn main. Um, and kind of just not be all in on that. I'm, I'm not sure what, like, what the best way to do it is. But, you know, like once you get going in these mid-range matchups, it's very powerful. But we just didn't play any mid-range matchups, right? We played Spirits. We played uh, three Creativities and uh, Blue Red Phoenix. So it's Eldritch Evolution for value, right? Like there's no combo at the end. No combo, exactly. You're kind of going card down to cast it and assuming that the Elish Norn that you find is going to make up for all that. Yeah, exactly. So that was the thought of playing all these creatures that draw. At least they come into play and draw. They replace themselves. And then Eldritch Evolution finds Elish Norn, which decks do struggle to kill. And then, like, none of the decks that I played killed it, <laughs> but I just couldn't get it into play. Yeah. No, that, that seems like just bad matchup luck. But I do wonder, like, Eldritch Evolution, I think, is not a good card. Like, it's not a card you should play in a fair deck. But... You see a deck like Yawgmoth and Modern, they happily play as many copies of Eldritch Evolution as they can, and even though they have to sacrifice something, it's just worth it, right? It's just worth it. It's more mana efficient than Eladamri's Call, which is another card that people, you know, will play four copies of in a modern deck. So, like, if you're saying that Eldritch Evolution is just, like, a fine card to tutor important creatures into play, then I think there's a lot of potential for this build. Yeah, I mean... I think you want to cut the combat threshers. That's easy. Eldritch Evolution finding silver bullets was way more important than it normally would be, again, because of the matchup luck. Um, I don't think you want to play four Eldritch Evolution either, but the, the the natural curve, like turn one elf, turn two, three drop, and then if they just play their normal two drop and you EE into Eld- Eldritch and they can't kill it, you're just in an in insanely good position, but... I think the deck needs a little bit of reimagining. And I don't know that Eldritch Evolution is a fine value play if mm. your opponent has counter magic, right? So, like, I played Spirits. I basically had to just take them out. And if I play Blue-White or Blue-Black, you have to take them all out. Like, you just... The Cyborg cards just, like, get crazy with how much you have to take out. So, I think your deck is just weirdly polarized against other mid-range decks and is not great against Super Aggro. Although this this would be good against like a red type of aggro, but not good against a destructive aggro and not good against control. So, voice of resurgence seems like it could help with a lot of what you're describing. Like, did you try that in the the two slot? I had it in my sideboard, and then Red talked me out of it. So, and we can blame him. <laughs> <laughs> I do actually like Eldritch Evolution with uh, Seekus Chariot as well. It's worth noting. How does that work? Well, if you sacrifice Eldritch Evolution. You sacrifice that two Eldritch Evolution at some point, you know, you get your four drop. Eventually, when you play Chariot, you just have this giant token that you get to copy. And the token is giant because the Chariot makes two cats when it comes into play. So the 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 token you get from your voice. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay. Yeah. We're talking about voice resurgence. Got you. I, yeah. I missed a step there. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think voice, it's just like a natural pairing with Eldritch Evolution, but that depends on voice being like a fine card on its own, which is unclear. Yeah, and then you kind of need to like find a four drop that you want to fetch, and there's probably some reasonable ones that I'm just like gapping on. 
I was going to say Yasharn, but that turns off your evolution as well. No, yeah. Yasharn has been a freaking letdown. I do not like that card. <laughs> All right. So more work to be done on the Eldritch Evolution green-white shell. So yeah, then the one that I tried last week had those like the four Kioras and the the three mana four four that puts a basic land into play tapped. And I found that the the three mana four four just isn't very good. It was too hard to get up to enough lands for it to matter. And the Kioras didn't have enough targets that drew a card from it. Once I got rid of those, I didn't have enough four power creatures. So I went to four Llanowar Visionary. And then I went to four Elish Norn. Um, and then instead of playing Mana Elf, we're playing four Portable Hole and Ossification on the low end with two mana ramp spells, the the Prosperous Innkeeper and the Sylvan Caryatid. Um, four Chariots, the card is awesome. The Chariot, Prosperous Innkeeper, Elish Norn like combo is just so good, right? You gain a shit ton of life. Creativity sometimes can't even kill you with one attack. That that came up. You know, just like they did 30 and I was at like four after that. Like, okay, my turn. <laughs> attack you for 12 or you know whatever um what i found is you're getting ahead or excuse me you're falling behind and you're resolving elish norn if it didn't die you were able to catch back up you know ossification is a two mana exile any two creatures um skyclave apparition you know cleaning up the board those are you know resolve a chariot with a prosperous innkeeper in play you're just getting a bunch of life to stabilize that came up a bunch. So play beat Lotus Field, beat Green White Angels, lost a Heartbreaker to Mono White Angels, uh, lost to Green White Pants. Uh, what do you want to call it? And then uh, beat Mono Red. Found out Elish Norn turns off for Asadon. I thought it would double the trigger, so I take twice. It actually just doesn't do any damage to me. It does stop life gain, which mattered, but hmm. so that was cool. So yeah, this shell actually kind of felt the best. Um, there's a few things I trim. Uh, I'm playing a couple Thalia's Lancers with a few Legends to Tutor and then Legends in the sideboard. I think I'd only play one Lancer. I think I would play a Tulsimir here. That card felt very good. Um, I wouldn't play Yasharn. It stopped me from sacking treasures to Prosperous Innkeeper uh, multiple times, which I didn't realize. <laughs> so, <laughs> don't <Okay>. do that. <laughs> Noted. Yeah, Thalia's Lancers. Three white, white, four, four, first strike when it enters tutor any legendary permanent. So you have legendary lands here. You have that legendary enchantment, Oath of Nyssa. You can get Elish Norn. I mean, I can see why it's promising, but was it just like a little bit too expensive? Yeah, and you just need stuff that like affects the board. Like it kind of gives you more of what Elish Norn does. Like mm -hmm. when you resolve it under Elish Norn, it feels awesome. Like you just find an oath and something else. And then oath is like a one mana, like look at your top six and pick the best two cards. It's just crazy how good that is. But I often found that I wanted Thalia's Lancer for something that could remove something. And that's where either um, Sky Sovereign or Tulsimir uh, is like, you want a way mm. to stabilize. We don't have any flying blockers. That's the only reason I lost to Mono White Angels. I was way ahead. I just needed to find like anything that could have interacted. I mean, we are playing eight removal spells, but just like one more card that you could almost like to tutor up would have been so good. Uh, but, and then you just replace your Sharn with maybe, you know, a cheap two mana card or maybe another ossification or something. Hmm. Yeah. I don't think that Lancer is really tutors for any removal per se, except Boseju, which you do have here. Well, Tulsimir is like a removal spell. Sky Sovereign is like a removal spell. 
Yeah, I suppose. I mean, Tulsa Bear's a, you know, it's not amazing, but like if it kills a creature with a wolf and gains three life, like that's pretty reasonable stabilization. With uh, Elish Norn in play, it's insane. I mean, you just gain six life, probably kill two creatures. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, no, that's good evolution there. I think cutting the Topiary Stomper package makes a lot of sense. Glad to see that one Kiora snuck in. <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I don't know if it's right, but it, you know, Kiora into Elishnor is insane. So speaking of that, this next list has four Kioras. This is the most speculative one. So this is a red, white Lotus field list. Um, the theory was that we would play Amiria's Call. And then we would sack Amiria's Call to Lotus Field. So it's in the graveyard. <laughs> and then we would resolve Capricious Hellkite with Amiria's Call in the graveyard with the help of Kiora, let's say. Kiora would, you know, untap our Lotus Field so we can get to up to our six mana. We'd resolve Capricious Hellkite, draw a card from Kiora. We would cast Amiria's Call from graveyard. Amiria's Call resolves two angels, draw another two cards. Like, that was the dream. That was the hope. And if we were going to do that, it's like, why not play Elish Norn, right? It, it doubles Capricious Hellkite trigger. It works amazing with Kiora. Um, the problem was, <laughs> so, so our list is Portable Hole, Knight of the White Orchid, which works amazing with Lotus Field, uh, Bone Crusher Giant, you know, nominally a two mana spell to interact with them, but Bone Crusher Giant triggers Kiora. We discovered that. That was, a, that was a, something we championed right when it was released. Um, Four Blood Sun, of course. Four Fable, just a generically powerful card. A couple cast outs. Three Kiora, four Capricious Hellraiser. Four Amiria's Call and uh, two Valakut Awakening and then 22 lands, all of which make white. The problem is that Capricious Hell- Hellraiser was the worst card I've ever played in my entire life. That's so disappointing to hear because I thought this was the coolest of all the LS Norn concepts. Like, man, wouldn't that be so sweet? The list actually felt amazing. The list actually felt amazing. Like when you start Kiora-ing, like Kiora, play it for free because you untap Lotus Field and then you like play Elish Norn and just draw two. And it's like, you're just in amazing shape. Like, do they kill Elish Norn? Do they kill Kiora? The problem is Hellraiser had very few cards in the graveyard ever. Like if we didn't actually sack Amiria's Call, we had to get all the way to seven mana to cast it. Uh, Or unless we had like specifically a Fable in play. We don't have a way to ever get nine cards in our graveyard, except for when we played a mill deck, which was pretty wild. And even then, we just never happened to draw a Capricious Hellraiser. But isn't that good, though, to have a small graveyard? Like, that way you are pretty sure you're going to get the Amiria's Call. You know what you're going to get. If you have Amiria's Call in your graveyard, you have to get it there. I see. <laughs> so the only way we can get it there is to stack it to Lotus Field, cast it for seven. If we do that, we've won the game. Or discard it to Fable. Those, those are the only ways we can do it. And the the play never came up where we sacked it to Lotus Field and ended up getting Capricious Hellraiser to resolve. People were bringing, like, graveyard hate against me. So, like, my terrible six-mana card that was terrible was even worse after board. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I guess it's, like, a lot easier to do in modern because you'd highlighted a modern build that used a similar shell with Amiria's Call, Capricious Hellraiser, but it also got to play Cleansing Wildfire, it got to play Flagstones, it got to play Boom Bust. So just like a lot more consistently going to blow up your own land. 
Uh, here, yeah, it's just the Lotus Field, and we don't have any way to tutor for the Lotus Field. No, so the card that really impressed me was Cast Out, and then the Kiora Lotus Field combo uh, with um, Elish Norn. When those cards were happening, you cannot lose. The deck feels unstoppable. So if we just cut our six mana four four that doesn't do anything with flying, okay, <laughs> we might be on the cusp of doing something. <laughs> Yeah. Also, I don't know if it's a bug, but if you have one less land than your opponent and you resolve a Knight of the White Orchid with Elish Norn in play, you get two lands. Is that a bug? I thought it was an intervening if or whatever. I never know how these rules interactions work. I just cast it one time to try. I was for sure going to win the game. That does seem like a bug. That, that shouldn't happen, I believe. Yeah, I, I didn't think it should. Huh. I want my money back. I was given an extra. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I didn't ask for this land. But I will say the the Kiora plus Lotus Field plus just having Amiria's Call is just, you need the extra lands in your deck. We've talked about this a lot mm. with Lotus Field. This is the MDFC that I have been waiting for. It is so good with Kiora and it's very reasonable to cast. I cast it multiple times where you just, before like whatever, get a, get a Valakid's Awakening and just cycle through your deck. It's like, this is way better. Just seven mana, stabilize the board, draw two with Kiora. Just that alone, I don't know if the rest of the deck needs to stay, but like four Knight of the White Orchid, four Amirius Call in your Lotus Field deck is something people should think about if you're going to play Kiora. All of the Bant MDFCs in the Mythic Cycle are pretty attractive like that. The blue one, Seagate Restoration, draws cards. Uh, the green one gives you a creature and you know maybe it buffs it by three. So Maybe gives you a creature. <laughs> Well, yeah, I don't know if you're willing to like change the base colors. Like right now, Kiora's a light splash into either blue or green from a base red-white deck. But if we don't need Capricious Hellraiser, are we are we still focused on red, or are we willing to like move into base white, blue, or white green? I think you need red because um, Blood Sun. I do think you have to play Blood Sun in your Lotus Field deck, um, and Blood Sun even is better. Like it's three mana draw card is terrible, but three mana draw two cards. If you have Elish Norn in play, it's actually like pretty good. You just you're you're kind of excited to draw it in the late game. Hmm. Um, and actually, it mattered quite a bit. Like white blue couldn't animate their lands. Red black has all these lands they want to animate. Like That's it, true. it actually does stuff. It was good against mono uh, a white list. So I'm not saying this this list is broken. The other thing is like Fable's actually really good at smoothing out your draws in the mid to late game. And if copying, uh, like I copied the Hellraiser with a cure and play and no graveyard. That was cool. Was just <laughs> one mana draw a card, attack them for four. <laughs> nice. So I went two, three. I beat uh, blue, white control. I beat blue, black mill. I lost a black green fight rigging because we didn't, we only have two cast out. So I couldn't kill any of their big creatures. I uh, lost a red, black mid range and mono black mid range. And like just super close games where I would just like, draw the Hellraiser right after they cleared my graveyard, you know, the classic, like they just had the right card at the right time. And we just happened to draw the perfect card that would have won, you know, one turn late. So I think we just get rid of capricious Hellraiser. Just forget about it. Just don't talk about it ever again. <laughs> uh, then I think we're on to something because the, the rest of the shell actually felt pretty good. So go up to forecast out. I looked up this card, Tyrant of Care Ridges. <laughs> oh God. This is the card I've been wanting. What? This is the card we need. What the heck is that? Six mana, four, five flying. When it comes into play, do four damage to any target. 
perfect. What? <laughs> okay, so it's like a flame tongue dragon, but for six, and it hits players. Or planeswalkers. And it has, has fire breathing. And under Elish Norn, it actually just stabilizes the board. That's what I want, is a six mana card that comes into play. If I have Elish Norn in play and just... I won't die the next turn. It stops all the attacking creatures. It stops Planeswalkers from ultimating. It provides a fast clock against combo. Uh, th- this is this is what I want. Th- this is the card I was looking for. This is better than Sky Sovereign, you think? It's just like a more juice. I think it's only better than Sky Sovereign because we don't have enough ways to crew Sky Sovereign. I see. Well, okay. Tyrant of Care Ridges from the Brothers War, of course. <laughs> and for cast out, cast out was insane. The the XL removal with Elish Norton play is so good. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you could even play. Well, I guess you can't play Chain to the Rocks because you're not going to have. Absolutely cannot play Chain to the Rocks. Red kept talking about ossification. I was like, we have one basic land in this deck. We cannot play ossification. <laughs> I mean, maybe. You could play Chain to the Rocks. Like you're playing the full boat of fast lands because they work so well under Lotus Field conditions, but you don't have to. Like you could just play Triumphs of Shocks. Like you're not really doing anything in the early turns anyway, right? Yeah, you, you could consider it. It's certainly something you could do. Hmm. All right. Well, I mean, this is promising. This this curve is still higher than I'm personally comfortable with. But I mean, these screenshots you have, which is like going nuts with Ellis uh, Norn. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the card that I'd want to cut though, if I was gonna lower the curve is fable but it's so generically like powerful but yeah i agree with you dan i want i want like i was thinking like the fourth portable hole and then this is gonna sound crazy but i want to play the two one that connives when it comes into play (laughs) it's just like a card that blocks and smooths our draws and then in the late game with elishnorn just like finds whatever piece we need like it double connives Maybe you want the, the Scrapwork Mutt instead. I mean, it's not going to be a 3-2, but you get a lot of access to it throughout the game. Yeah, it's, again, like, it sounds crazy as I'm saying it out loud, like I'm replacing Fable, <laughs> which, you know, allegedly <laughs> should be banned in Pioneer and Standard with this significantly worse card, but we just need stuff to do on two. Like, I hate rummaging versus looting, though, but you are correct, though. You do get a lot more, like, looks with the, the Mutt. Hmm. It just bothers me that the Knight of the White Orchid is like not good on turn two. I just wish that. I mean, I, I kind of want to play the one three, the Storm Proctor. I know that shuts down everything else in the deck, but like, <laughs> it's a blocker. It's a honest to god blocker. <laughs> That's just too much anti synergy. All right, but staring at these lists for too long. But uh, no, I, I think you made good progress on figuring out at least what doesn't work with the Hellraiser and maybe finding some replacements. Yeah, so that's that's it. I, I thought Elish Norn would be better. I don't think I actually played against an Enigmatic Incarnation list in four or five leagues. Hmm. I did play against Angels, which Elish Norn beats by itself. Uh, so that's cool. Yeah. But yeah, I did I didn't play enough against I didn't play against enough decks where Elish Norn was actually awesome. So it's not a good hate piece. Your deck actually has to exploit it and it can't be all in on it because it doesn't actually win the game by itself. So that's the main lesson is your deck needs to be very functional without Elish Norn. Hmm. Yeah, that's good info. Because I mean, coming, coming from a week of playing a lot of modern, Elish Norn is just lights out in modern, but maybe it's not quite as impactful in every matchup in Pioneer and we should keep that in mind. 
All right. Well, we'll leave it there. We've got plenty of Malkator lists to test. We'll be testing some this week, checking in on this throughout the month. Uh, this is our card of the month. So working in some ideas from the Faithless Brewing Discord. If you want to join us for that, come check out our Patreon. You can sign up as well. We'd love to have you. David, thank you very much. I'll see you next time. Yes, sir. Take care. Deck lists for this episode can be found at our homepage, faithlessbrewing.com. And don't forget to follow us in your podcast app to hear new episodes as soon as they drop. Support for this podcast is provided by brewers like you. Join the Faithless family and help support the show at patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing for Discord access, bonus content, and more. That's all for today. Stay safe, and we'll see you next time.